I had an introduction written, but Emma's testimony, she wrote a better one. In this letter, this Hebrew letter, Psalm 19 of Daleth, prepared to speak about what it means to be in the dust of life. And in Emma's testimony, she said, without Jesus, life is like a piece of dust, aimlessly floating around. But even as one who knows the Lord, one who has met Christ, who has turned from sin and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the God-man, to forgive you of your sin and to lead your life for all the days ahead. What do you do when you find yourself in the dust once again? Beaten down, heartache. The psalmist this morning, as we continue on this series, now in verses 25 through 32, this next poetic paragraph, this strophe, he says that his soul clings to the dust. His soul clings to the dust. He's incredibly honest with God. And he brings us to a point in this letter where God gives us, this, this psalm I should say, where God gives us an unbelievable gift of what's it mean to be a person of the Lord when you find yourself in the dust of life. The Word of God performs three specific functions in this letter, in the life of the psalm writer. Three particular functions that the Word works as the gift of God to drive him and to lift him. So we're going to gain, first and foremost, we're going to gain three insights into prayer that we might also pray when we find ourselves in the dust. And I understand, even in a room this size, that there are many of you that have certainly been through a dusty season and the dust still rests in your, in your mouth, the taste of dust. There's probably many of us in here who are in the dust and it took everything in your being just to be here this morning. We can say with complete confidence that a season will come in the weeks, months, or years ahead at the very least where each of us will find ourselves, even as believers, like the psalm writer saying, Lord, my soul, it clings to the dust. So God, would you do in our life what you've done with the psalmist? Would you allow your word to perform these three different functions in our own lives as well? So turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 119 beginning in verse 25 as we look at this letter in our continued series through Psalm 119. If you don't have a Bible, please do follow in the Pewback Bible in front of you. As we notice first and foremost that the Word of God, it revives us to lift up prayer when our lives are low. The Word of God revives us to lift up prayer when our lives are cast low. There's three components of this, three attributes that the Word accomplishes in the life of the psalm writer in his prayer. So I broke them down for us. First in verse 25, if you find yourself in the dust, relay to God your present position. Verse 25, if you find yourself in the dust, or should I say when you find yourself in the dust, relay your position onto God. And he begins just right there in verse 25. He says, my soul clings to the dust. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Now, we don't know the exact combination of the heartache 
that the psalm writer is feeling. It could very well be physical. He could very literally have people trying to kill him for being a man after the Lord's heart, for being a, a, a man marked by the Lord. He literally could have people physically encroaching in his boundary trying to hunt him and to kill him. And so in that way, his soul clings to the dust. Or it's possible it's, it's emotional, just speaking emotional, mental, and spiritually, he is at a point of exhaustion and running on fumes. Or it could be a combination of the both. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is the Lord has made it sufficient for us not to know the details of His context, but to know at the end of the day, His soul, it clings to the dust. There's nowhere else to go. He's left in the dust of life. But what's He do? He relays His present position on to God. Though He lays low, He relays His present position onto God. Now, there's something noble, and I think leaders have to always have this in the back of their mind. As you go through difficulty, there's this feeling, i got to put on a brave face. We put on a brave face and move forward. Figure out my next step, and let's go. I'm not staying here. we got to move. There is a nobleness to that, but that's not what the psalmist does when he's in the dust. The first thing he does here is he goes to the Lord admitting his honest perspective. If you pull up a GPS and you want to go anywhere in life, the first thing you need to do is you need to put in where you currently are. And that's what the psalmist does to the Lord. Lord, here is where I truly am. He relays it on to God as he ought to do. When's the last time you've done that with the Lord? To give an assessment, God, here's where I am. Here's where I really am. In your marriage context, in your relationships, where, when's the last time you've done an assessment to say, God, here really is where I am. You have to do that. Churches can be funny in this way. If you drive, just, just drive around in Texas. I heard there's a few churches here. So if you just drive around, you'll see on a sign, you'll see revival. And they'll mark revival and they'll put like, you know, June so-and-so to June so-and-so. And they'll put revival on there, which is really convenient. To, I don't know how you can schedule the Spirit for revival that day. But that's, I didn't mean that. That sounded salty. I did not mean that to sound that way. But in our lives, we do pray for revival. We do pray the Spirit would bring people from, from death to life and that He would take us when we are in dusty seasons and He would bring vibrancy into our lives and a desire to live according to His Word. That's a good thing. Churches will have no problem putting on their signs or putting banners and saying, Revival this date, but I've never seen a sign that should be the step before that. We are dying. I've never driven by a church that put a sign up that said, We are running on fumes. We will die any day unless the Spirit of God intercedes and breaks us. And so in our prayer life, when you find yourself in seasons of dust, it's noble and good to say, God, bring deliverance in my life. Deliver me from this. Give me wisdom and discernment on what to do next. But don't skip over the first part of praying out to God just like you did when you became a Christian. If you've trusted Christ Jesus as your King, the very first prayer you ever prayed was, Lord, forgive me, a sinner, deserving of your wrath. That's the very first part of our Christian life, but why do we feel shame to go and admit that as Christians when we find ourselves broken and tired and in the dust, when our soul clings to the, to the dust? So God, would you take our lives and give us a humility and an honesty to not be afraid or ashamed to say, Lord, here's where I currently am. As the psalmist says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life or revive me. 
So what do we do when we do that? Well, secondly, we see that in this mode of prayer, the, the Word of God motivates him in verse 26 to remind God of his past kindness. This is, this is sweet. Admit to God your present position. And secondly, remind God of his past kindness. Do you see that? Verse 26. He said, God, when I told of my ways, you answered me. So teach me your statutes. When I told of my ways, you answered me. The psalmist goes to past times in his life where he sought the Lord according to his statutes, I would assume, and the Lord answered him. And the Lord's answer to him in the present situation while he's in the dust becomes like a, a foothold as the Lord is helping him and belaying him up to climb, to climb out. When's the last time you've done that? To take a few moments to thank the Lord for his past kindness. And this, for me anyway, I find this to be one of the hardest parts. Because when I find myself overwhelmed and in the dust, I want to stay there for a while. Have you ever been in the dust of life and then as time went by you got kind of comfortable there? You almost didn't want to move on out of it. There's so many components that can go into that. But when I lose perspective, it could be a disagreement I have with my wife, it could be anything, a number of things. When I lose perspective, my language reflects that. I'll use language like, you never do this, or you always do this. Maybe you do the same. But that's not a reflection on the person I'm having the conversation with, it's a reflection of my heart. My heart's lost perspective. But the psalmist has found the ability to look at his circumstance and be honest with it, and then to shift it onto God and to look at his own past and how he sought God, and God has proven faithful. So it can be a long time, it can be a difficult move to take our neck from looking at ourselves and shift all the way up to God, to look all the way up to the heavens. But the Lord has given us a gift, the Word, the Word. So if I'm reading the Scriptures, now this is a very simple, probably crude breakdown of this, but I hope you'll get the picture. If I'm looking at myself, if I'm navel-gazing and just focused on my life, remember, if when we do that, it's always going to do two things. It's either going to make me foolishly filled with pride because I see how good I'm doing to other people or in line with other people compared to other people, or it's going to make me feel inadequate and shame and just depressed and upset because I'm so inadequate compared to other people. So how do I go from there to there where the Lord has given us His Word? Look, that's like four inches away from my belly button, which is a weird word to say in church. I've never said the word belly button, and I will never say it again. But it's right there. It's close. And what we do when we come to Scripture is we don't read Scripture and say, Lord, how good of you to give this book that's all about me. This is the Lord entering time and space, the one who's created us for relationship with Him, the one who's entered in and has had a people for His own possession. This is the story about the King, the Redeemer, who's come to, to break, break, break free a host of captives like you and I, that all who will turn and trust in Christ will be saved, but Jesus Christ is the hero of this book. And in reading it, I'm forced to shift my perspective to God's kindness and God's faithfulness. So when you're in the dust, go to Scripture and remind God of His faithfulness to His people. Now, that doesn't mean we won't die while in the dust. But it does mean in time God will deliver us. That He is good even when we're in the dust. 
So we take our eyes and we shift it to heaven and we thank God for His kindness to us. We give glory to God for His kindness and how He's interacted with His faithful as His people, as the covenant faithful God. And that brings us joy and encouragement. So in your life, when's the last time you've taken a moment and just thought through how God has been kind to you? Just thought through the last week. All the things we tend to take for granted. Where has God been kind to you? What about past seasons of your life where you've felt your, felt your soul clinging to the dust? And you sought the Lord in line with His Word and He was faithful to you. Remind God of those times. That's what the psalmist does. So remember, part of our problem is when we lose perspective, we'll make statements like this, God, you never deliver me. You always do to other people what you don't do for me. Oh, we've lost perspective. I can promise every one of us the Lord has forgiven us. The Lord has answered your prayer, at least one of them, very clearly to what you asked. Lord, would you forgive me, a sinner? And He did so. All those in Christ are forgiven. Remind God of your assured standing. I was listening uh, to an account of a journalist, an investigative journalist, who was drinking a cup of coffee one day, and he stopped, and he wondered, I wonder how much work it took for me to get this cup of coffee. He went to a, a place that sells coffee. They call those coffee shops. You're learning a lot today. And he had the cup of coffee, and he's like, I wonder what happened to get this cup of coffee into my hand to drink it this morning. So he went on this journey, and he started investigating, and he wanted to thank every person that made that cup of coffee that went into it. So, of course, he, he thanked the barista who had made it for him, and he started taking notes of them. And he went through the whole process from the graphic designer for the company that they put on there to the water treatment facility people that did the water for the coffee. He went through everything. By the end of it, he counted up about 1,000 people that went in ultimately to making that cup of coffee that he ended up thinking. And one thing that struck me in the context of the story is there's one that's left out. God. God. How quickly, if somebody does an act of kindness to us, do we say right away, thank you so much. And the Lord's kindness to us, when we see the kindness of people, and the church experiences the kindness of the body of Christ doing what we're supposed to be doing, how that should lead us in those moments of dust to say, God, thank you for your kindness. We will never outthink God for his kindness. And that leads third in verse 27 through 29, to recognize God's grace and your needed next step. While you're in the dust, you've been honest about your present position. You've reminded God of his past kindness to you in the context of his word and in your life. And now recognize God's grace in your prayer life and your needed next step. Now, verse 27 through 29. He says, Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, God, and graciously teach me your law. This was probably the one that I had the hardest Ability trying to put this into words, into a little a, a clear statement. It's because the scriptures give us a clear understanding of uh, unless the Lord works and blesses, we labor in vain. And yet, as believers, we're called to, to walk in faith. 
So even the statement to walk by faith assumes that we're doing what? We're walking, right? We're doing, we're going. And, and we found this tension. Do you remember in our series in Galatians? We found this tension through the book. This paradox, this aspect of the Lord is working and He's redeemed you and He's rescued you. So, so don't you dare leave the gospel. Don't abandon the fellowship of the saints. But I know you won't. So don't abandon the saints. Right? So there's this picture of the Lord's working and it's all by grace and yet you must go. Do the good works He's prepared in advance for you to walk in. The psalmist picks up on that language here. Did you feel that? Did you feel both sides? So in our prayer life, in our understanding, as we think through our next steps from the dust, we want to understand what God gives and what we must do, who God is and what we must do. So I want to walk through those back and forth here. First, we see that God gives understanding. He says that in verse 27. He says, God, make me understand. So God gives understanding, but we must still make observations. See that in verse 27? God, make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. God must give understanding, but with that, you and I must make observations. We must spend time in His Word. We must have open eyes to see and be willing to see. So God is the one who gives us understanding, but we must be willing to observe. And secondly, God... He is able. It's who He is. In verse 28 and 29, He says, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me. Why? Because God is able to strengthen him. Though he's in the dust, God is able to strengthen him. It's not too much for him. Strengthen me according to your word. And then verse 29, the very beginning, Put false ways far from me. Put false ways far from me, which is the people around him, or, or temptation or something around him that's, that is a very real physical threat. He says, God... Put them away from me. Put them away from me. So I need you personally to strengthen me. And God, will you also, because you're able, will you remove these false things from my life that are all around me? That assumes with it that he is willing to abide in the word of the Lord. See that? So that's that second pair. The first God is the one who must give understanding, but we must be willing to make observations. The second, God is able. He is able, but you and I must be willing to abide by the word. He is able. We must be willing to abide. The psalmist is willing to abide. So when the Lord puts false things away from me, he's also willing to put false things away from himself, far from himself. And the third one, the very end of verse 29, he says, graciously teach me your law. So the Lord is teacher. He is the teacher. But what's that assume for us as students? We must be teachable. He is the teacher, but we must be teachable. We have many many teachers in our church family, teachers and professors. You know how difficult it is if you have a student that is unteachable or has a spirit of unteachableness. Now, that may be a bigger challenge, and that may entice you to try to work harder to think through, how do I get through to this student? But the reality is, you can be the greatest teacher in the world. You can give the greatest lesson in the world. But if you don't have a teachable spirit, it's going to be difficult. And that's what the psalmist prays. And the Lord takes the prayers of His people, and He shapes us. So I want to explain this for a moment. Let's just sit in for a little bit. We need to apply this. The Lord's working in our call to be doing. 
in our prayer life, God shapes every one of us. That's a part of prayer from being in the dust. It's the aspect of being in the dust that often drives us, as we saw last week, to the Lord. It's adversity that drives us to the, the, the Word of God, and it's our calling to take the Word of God and drive it into action. And now this week, it's the prayers of the people. They're seeking the Lord, and it's the seeking of the Lord in prayer that's, that's also shaping them up from out of the dust. Example. If we pray consistently, God, and you choose people that you know that don't know Jesus Christ as King, neighbors, friends, co-workers, people around you, family, and you begin to pray faithfully, Lord, would you change their heart? Would you bring them to salvation? Father, would you use me to present the gospel to them? Please give me an open door. Give me wisdom and give me boldness to open through, to walk through, to present to them the basics of the good news of Jesus. If you make that your prayer on a daily and weekly basis, do you know what's probably going to happen in action? It's going to be a lot more likely. Guess what you're probably more likely to do with that person when you're around them? You're probably going to be more likely to share the gospel with them, right? Apply it to finances. If I'm praying in my finances and I'm being honest, and my wife and I, are, if we're doing this, we're saying, God, would you give us discernment? Would you give us wisdom in how to steward the finances you give us? Would you give us a discipline to live in the context of our budget? And we're making that consistent cry and prayer to God. Do you know what's going to happen with our finances? The next time I'm tempted to buy a 10-foot panda bear or something? I'm probably not going to do that. The Lord's shaping me from prayer from the dust. And we could give a dozen more examples, couldn't we, right now? We could just turn the rest of the day into this experience where we're sharing how the Lord has shaped us in prayer through heartache, through dusty situations. And the Lord is good. The Word revives us to lift up prayer when we are low. And second, the Word ratifies the wise way of faithfulness in the face of hardship. The Word ratifies the wise way of faithfulness in the face of hardship. Ratifies, it confirms it. It shows us. So when hardship, in the dust, when your, when your soul clings to the dust, when your soul, as he says, melts, how do I know which way is right? Well, according to His Word. According to his word, verse 30 and 31, he says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. How does he know that? I set your rules before me. Remember, rules, another one of those synonyms for the word, the scripture, the law. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, Yahweh, let me not be put to shame. The psalmist has chosen his path. And how does he know he's chosen the path of faithfulness? Because he's measured it according to the word of God. He's not measuring it according to history. Now, listen, not, I'm not going to, probably shouldn't say it, right? but here we go. There is a common statement in our culture that's given to say, history will look on you in this way, for whatever means possible. Believers are called to measure our life according to the word, to love justice, to walk in mercy, to be kind, to be bold in the word of God. Be faithful to truth, the unchanging Word of God. And if we walk through life, we know it, because I think we've probably all done it. I know I have. If you've gone through a conversation with a shoot-first, ask-questions-later mentality, you've probably, when you've measured it with the Word of God, said, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I probably shouldn't have done that. But you know what? If you don't measure that by the Word of God, you know what you do at night, that next night? You start thinking, 
you know what? I'm glad I said it. They deserved it. I'm glad I did it. They would have just gotten away with it. Nothing would have changed if I didn't do that. We'll justify anything based upon our feelings or what we think justifies the ends. But the psalmist says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Why? How do we know that? Because I set your rules before me. Practical application. Let the Word of God be your north star and your assessment point at the end of the day. We sang it in the, in the first song that Steve and the worship team taught us this morning. In the morning and in the nighttime. The morning and in the evening. Set the Word of God before you. Find time. Whatever you need to do for your schedule. Try to set aside a few minutes every single morning and every single evening to measure your way according to the Word of God so that you can say with confidence, I know I, have, I am clinging to, I know I have set my ways in a faithful way. I know I have, without question. That's what the Word of God does for us. So while you're in the dust and everything is spinning, the Word of God helps us. The Word of God ratifies the wise way of faithfulness. And that gives us our confidence. That is what gives us our joy. I cling to your testimonies. Why does he have to cling to the testimonies? Why does he have to cling to the testimonies? Why does he have to set them in front of him? It's because if he's not intentional, they'll blow right out of the way. That's how it is in our life. If we're not intentional to prioritize the most important things, time with the Lord and obedience to the Lord, we'll get too busy. Our schedule will get overloaded. And we'll forget the Lord's Word. And our way will not be the way of faithfulness. The way will be the way of the flesh. So first, the Word ratifies or revives us to lift up prayer when we are low. And secondly, the Word ratifies the wise way of faithfulness in the face of hardship. So spend time in the, in the, in the Word, even just a short amount of time, seeking the Lord in prayer and in, in His Word, in the morning and in the evening. And third, the Word of God, it renews our resolve to run after the Lord by His grace. The Word renews our resolve to run after the Lord by His grace. Now, He's been everywhere. He's been everywhere so far. He said that His soul, it clings to the dust. He said a few verses ago that my soul, it melts away for sorrow. But the very last word of Dalith, the very last word of this letter, listen to verse 32. Here's His resolve. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Every time we go through a season of suffering, that season will shape us. It doesn't have to become our eternal identity and we don't have to stay there forever. But make no mis mistake, it shapes us. Memory and the experience of that dust will shape us. You know what will happen by God's grace? As we pray and seek the Lord from it and we raise from the dust and we move forward still with that remembrance of dust, as we move forward in years to come, it will become another one of those things that we'll thank, the God, thank God for His kindness in. So if we were able to find this, psalm, this psalmist one year later after writing this, and when it came as he was in the dust again a thousandth time, and he presented to the Lord his honest circumstance, and then he secondly reminded God of His kindness, of the Lord's kindness to him, 
You know what act of kindness would have been added to the list? The one that he wrote here in Daleth. That happened a year earlier. The way of the Lord will not always be the easy way. But it's the wise path and the right path. And he says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. There was an American missionary named Adoniram Judson. There's a number of biographies on him. I'd encourage you to add that to your list. He is a man who ultimately grew up in the context of the church. His parents taught him, catechized him, taught him in the Word, taught him in the Lord, had him in church. But he went off to school and he never took, never gave his life to Christ. His testimony is absolutely wild. He goes ultimately to a large city to where the man that helped to tutor him in the ways of the world ended up dying in the room right next to him in this massive city and a distant way from where he grew up. He sees the man, the Lord uses it to convict him of his mortality, and he comes to Christ, and the Lord ruins his plans. The Lord completely ruins his plans. The gospel replaces his dream of fame. And so the Lord then gives him a burden to be a man who will take the gospel to the nations. He has a hunger to see internationals come to know Jesus Christ, and he made this the prayer of his life. For three years he prayed this, Lord, would you please show me a people to bring the gospel to? And he trained accordingly, and he spent time in the Word, and he grew, and he grew, and three years passed, and he got married to this beautiful woman named Anne. And they go together to India, and the Hindu people were impressed upon his mind to bring the gospel to. And so he trained and he prepared. And a couple of things happened along the way, but he finally gets to India. Upon getting there, he finds out the East India Trading Company will not allow him into the country. All of this preparation, all of this thinking that the Lord was leading him, door closed. Though his soul cling to the dust, the word renewed their resolve, enlarged his heart to run after the Lord. They went back and continued to pray that, and finally God opened up an opportunity for him to bring the gospel to a land that had not heard the gospel, Rangoon, Burma. He discovered Burma and found out that there were zero Christians in the entire country. Not only were there zero Christians, but there were zero people open to being assets in the country. But that didn't stop him. He and his wife, Anne, entered the country. They began praying and ministering faithfully. No one had come to Christ, but the Lord had blessed them with a little boy named Roger William, named after the preacher. Roger would grow to be seven months old and die unexpectedly and tragically at seven months. He would bury Roger there. Though his soul cling to the dust, the word of the Lord enlarged his heart, and he ran back after the Lord. Staying in Burma, he began to minister, continued to minister day after day, sharing the gospel, meeting needs, caring for people, presenting the gospel again and again and again and teaching people. Years passed, year after year, Nobody came to Christ. The hard soil almost broke them. Though their soul cling to the dust, the Lord enlarged their heart, and they went forward running after the Lord. Finally, God showed them favor and began to bring a harvest. The very first man that came to Christ was baptized on June 27, 1819, 
named Magnow. And Justin jotted in his journal, listen to this. Oh, may it prove to be the beginning of a series of baptisms in the Burman Empire, which shall continue on in uninterrupted success to the end of the age. And converts would begin to be added slowly and then quickly. And as the government began to take note of them, they entered into a war with Britain. And in doing so, the government saw this opportunity, and for whatever other reason, they arrested Adoniram. And they threw him in jail for 21 months, and they sentenced him to death. Though his soul clinged to the dust, the Lord enlarged his heart, and he ran back after the Lord. The prayers of people all over the country and over the world and his wife and her persistent begging broke through. The Britons got involved and they released ultimately Adoniram from prison and they rejoiced. A few months passed and Anne, his wife, was struck with smallpox and died unexpectedly. Though his soul clinged to the dust, the Lord in His Word enlarged his heart and he continued to run after the Lord in Burma. He would meet his second wife named Sarah. It's a good name. This woman was blessed, brilliant. And she was able to actually take the Pilgrim's Progress we spoke of last week, and she translated that into the Burmese language, still used today. They would be married for 11 years, in which she would suddenly get sick would try to get home to America to see a better doctor, and she would die along the way. His soul cling to the dust. The Lord in His Word enlarged his heart, and he ran after the Lord. He would go and be married again, and he would continue to minister faithfully day after day, presenting the gospel. And the Lord continued to, to bless and to show people that gave their life to Christ. And he would die at a very young age, at 61 years of age. And after dying, a census was taken, the country. And it found that of a land when he had first come there some 38 years earlier that had zero Christians, at this point now, one out of 58 Burmese knew the Lord Jesus Christ. The way that the Lord calls us on in faithfulness of our life, the Lord would take those little seeds in that hard soil, would eventually break through and grow mighty disciple-making oak trees, shaped a country, the faithfulness of one who would not give up and his wives. That they would continue to pray to the Lord from the dust. The Lord would enlarge their hearts by his word. And they would run after the Lord. God, for those in our body who find themselves in the dust now, in the past, or in the future, would you enlarge our hearts? Would you help us to run after you? That's Daleth. Next steps. Next steps. Two questions. Number one, do I believe that the one who formed man from the dust of the earth can use the dust of suffering to lift me closer to his presence? Do you believe, resolve this in your heart right now, do I believe in my heart, do I believe very honestly that the same God who shaped man and breathed life into his lungs from the dust, is able to take the dust of hardship and 
and bring me closer to His presence. And use me in life and ministry. What does that truth mean for you? How will that shape your life this week? And then secondly, we're not just a collection of individuals in this room. We're a local church body. And so everything we hear, everything we know as we obey the Lord by His Spirit, we're called indebtedness to one to another. And so my question to you is this. Secondly, is there someone in my life that I know is in the dust that I need to be specifically adding to my prayer list this week to pray for them faithfully and consistently? The Lord would help to lead them up from the dust and ask the Lord to use you in whatever way that He seeds fit to use you to help lift their heads from the dust by bringing them into the Word. That's the Lord's call upon us. We are ones who, as Emma said in her testimony, without Jesus, we're like dust, aimlessly floating around. But praise God, we're not simply dust. We know the King, Jesus Christ. He is our worth. He is our hope. His mission is our purpose, to be and make disciples for the glory of God. Would you stand together as we sing to the one who gives us life?